Good morning. I want to start this morning with a fairly simple statement. It was not cheese. Now, I was in Brazil in the mid-2000s, is that how you say it? First decade of the 2000s. And I was working for IBM, I traveled a lot, and what I always did when I traveled was that I went to some local place to eat because I wanted to feel like a local. I wanted to feel like someone who lived there, like an insider. And so I picked a restaurant, I hailed a taxi because we had taxis back then instead of Ubers. I showed up to the restaurant and I took a book, right? It wasn't a Bible, but I took a book because that's what you do when you're by yourself. And I sat by myself at a table reading my book, surrounded by locals, surrounded by Brazilians, uh, a couple celebrating an anniversary over here, uh, uh, a couple of co-workers having a business discussion over here, I assume anyway, it was all in Portuguese. And as I sat there, they brought me a three-part plate as an appetizer that I hadn't asked for, but was great. It, it had bread, olives, and cheese. And the bread was great, the olives were great, and I had really high hopes for this cheese because um, I love Spanish cheese, strong and aged and, you know, hit you around the face with flavor. And I tasted the cheese. No, it wasn't this Spanish cheese that I've been hoping for since this restaurant I had gone to was a Spanish restaurant. Um, instead, it was the same buffalo mozzarella that I'd found elsewhere in Brazil, um, which was great, but it wasn't what I was looking for. Still, because I wanted to belong and pretend like I was from there, I ate it anyway, right? Like I was trained to do as a child by my own mother and father. Finished that plate, food still hadn't come, I'm still reading my book. Here comes another plate. Same thing, bread, olives, cheese, same as the last, but what do you do? Well, I've got nothing else to do, so I keep eating it. Halfway through this plate, I realize my mistake. Uh, things had warmed up enough, I guess. I had slowed down when I realized that I was not eating cubes of cheese. What I was actually consuming my body weight in was chilled, cubed pieces of butter. I called my wife. She's like, yeah, go to bed. Um, but I thought it was hilarious, right? Because here I was. I wanted to belong. I wanted to be in, and yet I clearly didn't. Um, I wasn't Brazilian, and I didn't know what was going on, and I marked myself as an outsider. Now, that's an amusing story, but all of us in this room claim to be followers of Jesus. We claim to at least want to be insiders. And it's odd because a lot of times what we do is we put on these stipulations to what being an insider means. Just like me being in that restaurant in Brazil didn't make me a Brazilian. Uh, you being here, you acting certain ways, you 
uh, wearing certain things, you voting certain ways, doesn't make us an insider or outsider per se. And so what we need often is a, a reminder of, of what makes us insiders, what makes us true followers of Jesus. Thankfully, that's what Mark has written his entire book about. Uh, he's, I would argue that he's not necessarily trying to convince you that Jesus is God. For heaven's sake, he starts with that, right? He says, look, this is the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. Now let's talk about what it means to follow this person if that's true. And so every story within Mark is talking about that. He's describing what it means to be a follower to people who are massively interested in this because they're being persecuted for following. And so it behooves them to get it right, and it also should motivate us as well. Now, today's story comes from Mark chapter 3, 7 through 35, and actually it's all about insiders and outsiders, as you can see from the points in your um, what Mark does is he plays with physical inside and physical outside and religious inside and religious outside and uses those words over and over again um, throughout this story uh, to demonstrate what being a true insider means and what that looks like according to Jesus, who gets to define that, obviously. So, listen for inside and outside and what it means to be a true insider as I read Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 35. And I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll come back and talk about it. So, starting at verse 7, it says, Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a large crowd followed from Galilee, and from Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, uh, beyond the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. The large crowd came to him because they had heard about everything that he had done and was doing. Uh, now, then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so that the crowd wouldn't crush him. Since he had healed many, all who had diseases were pressing toward him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he would strongly warn them not to make him known. Now, Jesus went up the mountain and he summoned those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, to be with him and to send out them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the 12. To Simon, he gave the name Peter and to James, the son of Zebedee, and to his brother John, he gave the names Boarginis, which means sons of thunder, which is cool. Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now, Jesus entered a house, and the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said, he is out of his mind. Uh, the scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, ah, he's possessed by Beelzebul, and he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. So he summoned them, and he spoke to them in parables. And he said, how can Satan drive out Satan? 
If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, and then he can plunder his house. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness because he is guilty of an internal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. His mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and said, Look, your, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters are outside asking for you. He replied to them, Who are my mother and brothers? Looking at those sitting in a circle around him, he said, Here are my mother and my sister and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister, and my mother. Let's pray this morning as we begin. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to see uh, with fresh eyes what it means to follow you. Um, help us to see clearly uh, false structures we've built up. Um, open our hearts and our minds to your truth um, as we hear from you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So, as we think about what Mark is doing here with this story, we're going to try and define what it means to be an insider, as Jesus defines it, what Mark's true followers. And uh, we'll do this in three phases. We'll look at insiders, outsiders, and then we'll talk about being changed from the inside out. First, insiders. Uh, we start, you know, with the scene of the crowd kind of crushingly in upon Jesus, looking for healing, looking for something. And what does Jesus do? He goes in a boat for safety, presumably, from the crushing crowd, and then immediately goes up a mountain. And already, and starts summoning people, and already, if we're thinking, as we've talked on Wednesday nights, about biblical theology and thematic elements throughout this one large narrative that is the Bible, uh, someone uh, finding protection in a boat on water and then going up a mountain should kind of jar our heads and flash us back uh, to the story of Exodus. Um, just an echo of that. Um, and so what Jesus does once he goes up this mountain is he, he goes up and he summons, he chooses 12 people who he calls apostles and he gives them a mission and it's got three parts right it's be with him be sent out to preach and have authority over demons be with jesus be sent out to preach and have authority over demons that's a very direct statement um, and it's one that we should look for from here on out in the story of Mark. If these 12 guys are charged with those three things, being with Jesus, being sent out to preach, and having authority over demons, if Mark is a good author, and we assume he is because he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, then we better see that play out going forward. 
one side note. That, the way I like to think about that kind of narrative structure, if these guys are insiders and this is the role they play and they need to play that, uh, there's a, a playwright called Chekhov. And what he says is if you're watching a play or a movie and someone takes, you'll excuse the analogy, but this is Texas, takes a loaded gun and places it on a table in a play. Well, the play can't be over until that gun goes off, right? Otherwise, you don't put a loaded gun on a table because you're drunk. That's what your author is doing here. This is their agenda, so ideally we see that play out. So these are insiders that we'll watch going forward. And, and so it raises the question, right? Why these 12? Well, if we look at what background we have, we have next to nothing so far in Mark, right? Mark 1, we have Andrew, Peter, James, and Andrew, Simon, James, and John. They're called and they leave their fishing boats. Uh, we have Mark 2, uh, Levi, also called Matthew, names are interchangeable. He's a tax collector. He's called to follow. And that's it. We don't get any emotion. We don't get any psychological background. Jesus just walks by them and says, hey, come on. And they're like, okay. Which gives us almost no motivation at all. Now, secondly, their diversity is kind of crazy. If we look at the description of the 12, not only do we have those occupations, but we have some strange descriptions. A couple of name changes, Simon to Peter. We have two guys nicknamed Sons of Thunder, which sounds like they're going to form a pro wrestling team. We have Simon the Zealot. So I would, I would wager, we're not told, but that sounds like uh, this person is politically active. He's one of those people who has been blowing up your phone with texting saying, have you voted, have you voted, have you voted? And then you've got the last one, Judas, whose only uh, description is that he's a traitor. This is not the group I would have chosen, right? And even if I had chosen these guys, I might give them better billing. This guy was good with fire. This guy was the heavy weapons expert. I mean, I may have watched too many war movies recently. But the idea is they've been given a mission, and we've got these 12, but they seem massively unqualified. It's almost like the only thing they have going for them is that Jesus chose them and called them. Why these guys? Why, narratively, we have to be saying, this was a bad idea, Jesus. Like, why these dudes? Well, the great part is that Mark uses the rest of the story to answer that. Now, talk about insiders. Let's talk about how Mark uses the rest of the story to talk about outsiders to contrast. If you notice this second part, and let me give you the actual things here, um, verses starting in verse 20 all the way through the end, what we have is one of Mark's favorite techniques, and Ben has already talked about this a little bit. It's a sandwich story, right? We start narratively with part of one story, and we just leave that hanging, and we go and tell this other thing that happened, and then we come back to this. When we hit these stories in Mark, and there are about six of them that are narrative sandwich stories, uh, what I like to think about is how I would film these stories. 
right? Because I've seen a lot of movies, like I said. Think about um, an example I can think of is Saving Private Ryan, right? How does that movie work? That movie starts, you have a cemetery in France, you have an older guy who is, is looking at a grave, he's very emotional, right? And he's talking with his family, and we cut away from that for like two hours, right? And we have the entire search for Ryan, who turns out to be this guy, and at the end, we come back. That's what Mark is doing. In Saving Private Ryan, the connecting point is Ryan, who's now this old guy. He's young in the sandwich story. In almost every one of the sandwich stories in Mark, the common thread is Jesus. Jesus is interacting with someone or talking with someone, and the same thing is present here. We, we have uh, Jesus with his family. His family is coming to get him, and we leave them. They're coming on the way, and we have an interior discussion with experts in the law, and then we come back to the family. So let's look at both of those sections. First off, let's put the family on hold for a moment, and let's talk about the inside, the experts in the law. Now, we've, we've seen Jesus already in conflict with authorities and experts in the law the last two weeks or so with the five different issues. And, you know, they're already antagonists in our story. And here, Mark is already playing with insiders and outsiders, right? Because what do we have? We have a house. And Jesus is said to be inside the house. Now, Jesus summons them in, and so now the experts in the law are physically in the house with Jesus. And so they are uh, physically insiders, if you will, very visual image. They're right next to him. They're summoned in in verse 23. And the moral, they're moral insiders as well. These are experts in what the law says, experts on what God expects, experts on who Jesus should be when he comes. They, of all people, should be the ones that get it. So they're physical insiders and they're moral insiders. Ultimately, though, in verse 22, they reject Jesus, right? What do they say? They say, um, you know, he, in verse uh, 22, they say he's possessed by Beelzebul, the devil, basically, and he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. And so Jesus has them come in and he refutes them, right? He says, basically, that's not true and you are rejecting my authority. And if you do this permanently, there's no hope for you. So basically, they reject his authority. And even though they're physical insiders, even though they're moral insiders, they choose to reject Jesus, and they become outsiders in our story. And so we can automatically disqualify them from being our model. And while it looks really uh, clear and really blunt in our story, uh, their intentions are probably good, right? They're not, they're trying to do what they think God told them. But what they've done is they've displaced Jesus. They've displaced God. Because what they've done is they've constructed their own definition of inside and outside, which is easier, uh, which is easier to see, uh, easier to, to evaluate themselves against others. So it's not an outright rejection, originally anyway. It's some stipulation, something they're adding to what Jesus commands, what Jesus asks for. 
And we do the same thing. I do the same thing almost every day, right? Because I, I, I think of life often, and you may as well, as kind of a zero-sum game, right? Uh, it's not enough that I'm following Jesus and other people can follow Jesus as well. All too often, I, I want to say, well, am I doing better or am I doing worse? Uh, even with myself, am I doing better than I was three months ago? Am I doing worse? And that's not what Jesus is talking about. What I'm doing when I do that is I am replacing uh, following him, and we'll talk about what that means in a bit, with something that's tangible, something that's chartable, something that makes an us and them that I can hold. If we add to Jesus' call, we make ourselves outsiders. So that's the inside of the sandwich. Now let's talk about the family, the, the bread. We've talked about the meat of the sandwich, now let's talk about the bread. Uh, we see that um, Jesus' family, in verse 21, Jesus goes inside, and his family hear that he's doing stuff, and the crowds are pressing around, and we're told a couple of things. Uh, we're told his family come, but we're not just told his family come, right? They said his family's set out. So again, Mark is, is associating out with the family. And then what do they say? They don't say he's crazy. They say he is out of his mind. And so words are really important here. They're, this out is already being associated with the family. Now, this is their family, right? They're experts, but they're genealogical insiders. They are related to him they should be experts in jesus's life and so on that perspective they of all people should get it uh, they've known him forever and what do they do they show up and we're told in verse 31 they come up and they don't go into the house maybe because it's too crowded we're not told but they come up and they stand outside so again they're outsiders and what do they do they summon Jesus to come out to them. And in this move, Mark is showing that they are rejecting Jesus as well. They're making themselves outsiders. They're staying outside, and narratively, it's a flip. Before, Jesus goes on the mountain, and he summons people to be insiders. Now, his family show up outside, and they summon Jesus to come outside. So narratively, they are, Mark is showing us how the family is, is taking over Jesus' authority and rejecting him ultimately. Come out on my terms, is what they're saying. Uh, we're not going to go into you. You need to come out to us um, and cede authority. So again, they assume uh, just from birthright that they have some insider position. Um, they're doing the same thing that the experts in the law did. They're adding to the gospel. They're adding to Jesus' call, making themselves outsiders. Uh, so we've seen what it means to be an insider. Uh, be with Jesus, uh, be sent out to preach, uh, have authority over demons, and we've seen what it means to be an outsider. Uh, rejecting Jesus' authority, choosing to add to things, to those three things. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about this last point, being changed from the inside out. Jesus' family summons him, and he responds in 34, verse 34 and 35, and he's like, my family's outside. No, 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 no. Uh, 
I know my mother and my brothers are outside, but no, no, this is my family. Uh, my, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, anyone who does what? The will of God is my family. Now, at first glance, if we take that verse in isolation, that's overwhelming on, on one level, at least for me. Uh, to be an insider, Jesus seems to be saying, is to do the will of God. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of hosed, if that's true, because I can't do the will of God. Like, all of that, all the time? No way. But because it's bookended in this story, it uh, makes a lot more sense, and it's a lot more grace-based. Remember, at the beginning, we talked about Jesus choosing these 12 and summoning them up and giving them a three-part mission. Those are insiders. But so are these who do the will of God. So what Jesus is saying, and what Mark is saying through the Holy Spirit, is that what Jesus is saying is that to do the will of God is to have this three-part mission. To be with God, uh, to be sent out to preach, and to have authority. And all too often we skip over that first one. We think, oh, we got to go fix things. We got to go do things. We got to have visible, tangible elements. But like we said, the people in this house sitting around Jesus are no more qualified than our 12. We have about as much information about both groups. And in fact, what Jesus has done through this stacking of stories is he said, look, here's the 12 insiders, and everyone's like, oh, I want to be one of them. And Jesus has said, but it's open to anybody. He's expanded this concept of insiders from 12 to anyone who's willing to be with him, to ascribe to his authority. So our mission then, to do the will of God, starts with being with him, which sounds really simple and annoyingly unmeasurable, right? Um, but that's what we see throughout the rest of Mark and Acts and basically the entire narrative of the Bible is that it's Jesus... Uh, being with us, God with us, changes us from the inside out. Because the danger in hearing, do the will of God, I feel like, well, I better get my checklist together, and I better be able to check everything off. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. My burden is light. Come and hang out with me. Uh, be with me, um, and you will be changed. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 it says, we all with unveiled, unveiled faces are looking in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and we're being transformed into the same image that we're looking at, basically, from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Uh, the idea is that Moses, when he went back up on that mountain that I referred to before, he would be with God. And as a result, his face would just glow, like, Crazy, right? And so when he came down, he couldn't just talk to people because they would freak out. They'd be like, your face is glowing. I know you're talking, but I, your face. And so what he'd do is he'd put a veil over it. Um, and that's what this verse is talking about. Uh, we, don't, we don't have that veil between us and Jesus. We will be changed. Now, back to my story in Brazil, right? Going into that restaurant... Eating at a local place did not make me Brazilian, right? What, what would? Well, moving there. 
living there, right? Being exposed, being with Brazilians would eventually turn me into a Brazilian, even if it wasn't by birth, right? I would like the things they would like. I would listen to the things they did. I would hear the things they did. And the same is true for being with Jesus. Immersion is essential. Um, it changes us. The Spirit does. And we begin to see things with new eyes. We no longer are prone to seeing things as zero sum. We never make these artificial us and thems. We, we understand that we're all in this together, that, that it's Jesus that changes us all, and there are no preconditions for coming and being with him. It's not get your life together and then come hang out. No, just come be with me. And I, I think there are two, uh, two kind of primary senses of what this looks like. First is a corporate sense. Followers of Jesus have as their core being with Jesus and being like him as their unifying principle. And if that list of 12 disciples teaches us anything, and Acts and other parts of the story, it's that there are no entrance requirements, which means that as long as we are respecting Jesus' authority, believing that he died for us and that he is our only hope and that he will change us, there can be a massively wide view of issues and other things in the church. And yet we would still be unified. Uh, these, 12, these 12 people that come from these political and fishing and other backgrounds, uh, when they speak in Acts and they start talking about Jesus, People don't react and say, wasn't this guy a fisherman? Wasn't this guy, a wasn't this guy politically active? No, they say, wait a minute. These people are crazy different, but the one thing they have in common is that they were all with Jesus. And so that's the power, right? They will know us by our love, not by anything else that people can measure. Secondly, um, more of an individual level. And I've been thinking about this a lot over the last eight months or something. Um, being with Jesus takes some kind of habit. When I wake up, my phone is usually charging on the phone beside my bed. And especially during this season, and especially uh, if you're like me, during this next week, you are going to instinctually just pick up a phone or turn on the news, pick up a newspaper, and that's going to set your day, or at least that tends to set my day. And so I'm suggesting a change for myself and a change for all of us. Um, what, what do you return to often during the day? What do you turn to first in the morning? Is it being with Jesus? Or is it checking on the latest polls or seeing what news occurred or wondering how in the world Texas could have won a football game? There are lots of things that you can, you can substitute in for being with Jesus. But it's ultimately that focus, that being an insider, that being an insider, excuse me, means being with Jesus. It's not about doing 
It's about being present with him. And we can all be on that journey together. And so that's what I want to leave you with this week. Continually ask yourself, am I with Jesus today, this morning, this afternoon? Am I with Jesus and being changed by him? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your commitment to us, that you came to be with us and that you don't put requirements on being an insider, Um, that you know us so well, that we can be marked by your love and that you call us just to be with you that you will change us over time. And I pray that especially this week, uh, you would make us unified. Help us to see um, Jesus and other people. Help us to be known not by our affiliations or by our reasoning or our thoughts or anything else, but have us be marked and identified by the world as being with you as loving you and therefore loving others. In your name we pray, amen.